Hi everybody! Welcome to another fun edition of Nurse Hathaway's Heaven. Today we're going to be talking about a case review that hopefully will pique your interest and get you thinking along the lines of what could be going on with this patient. So you're working at the triage desk and you're taking care of everybody and one of the patients that comes up to you and that you start to triage is a 73-year-old woman. And when you ask, what's going on with you today? She just says, quote, my legs aren't working. Okay. So the first thing you start to kind of run through your head as far as differential diagnosis goes is, of course, does she have any ptosis, any drooping? Does she have bilateral equal grasps? Do I need to call a stroke code? Uh, that type of thing. So you kind of sit her down in your chair because you don't have anybody right in front of you at the moment. And you start your process because, of course, if this lady is having an active stroke, she becomes a priority. And there's nobody else in the waiting room right now. No one's bleeding to death. No one has an airway compromise. Um, everybody's breathing is okay. There's nobody with respiratory distress. And like I said, there's nobody um, exsanguinating or bleeding to death. So hemorrhaging... None of that's going on. So this lady actually becomes your priority. So come to find out that she's had problems moving everything from the waist down. And when you say, okay, well, how long has that been going on? She says approximately uh, a week. So the previous week, she started to have some difficulty moving everything from the waist down. And you start to go down the trauma rigmarole. So you ask any questions related to that because, of course, we know that patients will forget to tell you, oh, yeah, by the way, I was in, you know, a car accident. I was T-bone going 55 miles per hour. Um, That happens sometimes. As we know, when we start asking those very important triage questions, our, our whole goal is to extrapolate as much information as possible um, in the in the shortest amount of time in order to make an informed decision about the patient's ESI um, or acuity rather. So using we're you we're using a five tier at our facility. So using a five tier ESI or emergency severity index, you start to ask some more questions and this lady denies any no falls, no trauma, she's not on any thinner. She just completely starts to have issues moving her legs from the waist down since the previous week. And then she starts to talk about, well yeah, so then I called um my doctor. So about three days prior she had called her PCP and they had already done an MRI, so this wasn't like a brand new issue. Although relatively so um and so she had already had the mri done of her back and her hips um an ls playing film of her spine where those were all negative so you start to ask some more questions you know have you traveled anywhere you got because you you've ruled out some other things already with the mri and those results and she's she's like no 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 haven't traveled haven't you know because you want to think dengue fever, malaria, kind of go down that weird differential diagnosis pathway. Like, what's going on with this patient? You know, like, caudal equinus syndrome. Um, But everything was negative on her MRI. She had no fever, no headache. Her vitals were as follows. So her temp's 36.2 Celsius, so 97.1. 
Fahrenheit, heart rate 77, respirators 14, blood pressure 179 over 85. And O2 stats 97% on room air. She's no apparent distress. Her list of medications are as follows. She's taking simvastatin, um, Vioxx, I think for arthritis, um, and some unknown antihypertensive. She does have a history of hypercholesterolemia, angioplasty, MI with stent placement in the LAD, and COPD, and pneumonia and arthritis. Okay, that answers the Vioxx question. So you guys, you're like, okay, I need to get this lady back though, because nobody's really in your waiting room. Nobody else is really very pressing. So you go ahead and do that. And the ED doctor kind of goes through his whole differential diagnosis list, and he has included MI, so of course you get the 12 lead in the back, they put her on the monitor, exacerbation of arthritis, musculoskeletal strain, carbon monoxide poisoning, CHF, or a TIA. So all of the tests to rule all of those things out are ordered. So you've got your to you know your CBC CMP um she's not in any thinners but PT PTT INR just because <clears throat> and all those blood tests are ordered and of course we want to go ahead and get a chest film and another LS spine because you know how when patients present a testing that they have had done has been done a while ago so I mentioned you know three days prior it probably was actually more like five days prior and if it wasn't at your facility you can't pull up the results so then that becomes a whole faxing thing and that little game has to happen so that's another thing in and of itself but we're going to start from scratch every time the patient hits the door because we don't know what's going on even though she's told us some history um, we believe her however we want to look at everything actively right this very moment so those tests were all ordered including of course the ct of the head to rule out anything because we know that sometimes there's just things that we can't see neurologically she was totally intact but based on some of her history we just have to be careful of course um we went ahead and line and labbed her waited for ct just started at 200 ml bolus just to see if that would have, we, and then after the bolus, we just went ahead and um, hung the saline at 100 an hour. So the EKG came back, CT, chest, LS spine, everything was negative. So now you're kind of like, hmm, what's going on with this patient? So the ESR, TSH, trope, uh, BNP, carbon monoxide levels, all that was okay. The, the abnormals, um, that we had come back, of course. Um, her BUN was 53. Her creatinine was 1.6. CK, 27,680. Of course, normal's like 24 to 199. MB's 180 nanograms per milliliter and CKMB percentage is 0.7. Of course, it's supposed to be zero. And her neutrophils were slightly elevated. Um, lymphocytes, Mm, they were low actually um her urinalysis we finally got her to pee because you know we can never get people to pee when they hit the door her ua came back it was coca-cola colored her protein had 100 milligrams per tesselator and uh, blood large luke's moderate uh, bacteria present 
and WBCs um, were elevated as well. So now hearing that information, what are some things that you might think are going on with this patient? Spoiler alert, look at her med list. That's the big clue. Sometimes when you don't have a clue even what's going on with the patient, or the patient doesn't know what's going on with the patient, that's one of the big places that I tend to start, especially if the patient isn't able to you know, communicate in the best way. Sometimes if I just have that med list, whether it's from the nursing home, like the SNF or whoever sends it, it gives me a really good clinical snapshot of that picture or of that patient in a very quick manner without me having to go into the computer and pull up an old record from, you know, five months ago. Of course, I'm going to eventually do that. But when time is of the essence, I love that med list because it just it tells me a lot about the patient. So if they're on Lasix, you're like, okay, so they have congestive heart failure. So where's their potassium replacement? So if you don't see that on the list, then you can start to think about hypokalemia and those types of issues, especially if the patient's an elderly patient, which this lady was 73. Um, a lot of times, you know, you start thinking hyponatremia, confusion um, with your older women who come in from the sniff and they're just got a UTI and it's just a horrible, horrible UTI, but then they go down that sepsis pathway as well. So then they fall into the SERS criteria and then that's a whole nother sepsis alert. However, back to this patient, she, um, look at her med list and of course, what, what medication stands out to you? Well, obviously she's on the simvastatin or Zocor. And we know, based on the side effects and what we've been seeing clinically, that a lot of these patients are coming in with rhabdo or rhabdomyolysis. And it ends up that this patient was kind of like textbook. Once we got that urine and we looked at it and it was like, hmm, aha. And then, of course, the BUN creatinine and everything resulted back. It wasn't too hard to put together the pieces for this lady. And, you know, you see those commercials on the television about, oh, you know, they're, they're laughing, they're happy, they're at the picnic, everything's going good. And then in the background, if you listen, the guy's like telling you about the lethal side effects. So, and one of them for the statins, of course, is muscle weakness, fatigue. Um, he's, he's referring to rhabdomyolysis without saying it. So when you watch these drug commercials, it's very interesting to watch it from a health professional perspective because listen to the little voice in the background while they're watching a concert in the park and everything's perfect. Um, that's just kind of taking the patient down the rabbit hole. Listen to the side effects. So really the statins, although a lot of people are on them and we see more and more people on them, really have to make sure that their LFTs or the liver function tests, those types of things are in order. Like you can't just throw people on them that have a pre-existing history of, oh, I don't know, hepatitis, those types of things. You cannot do that. So you have to really look at the picture of the patient prior to putting them on a stat, not just say, oh, you know what, your cholesterol is too high and we're going to go ahead and prescribe an HMG coacetyl arytactase inhibitor, which is the classification of drugs pharmacologically that the statins are in. But they are a dangerous class of drugs. So it's not like just putting somebody on an aspirin a day. 
We really just need to be careful when we're thinking about our patients, what kind of drugs are they on in regards to their absorption, their distribution, their metabolism, their excretion, particularly when they get into a certain age group. So, you know, there's the beers criteria of drugs that certain people should not be on in the elderly slash geriatric age group, the beers criteria. This is one of the drugs you have to be careful with. So although this lady didn't have like a super huge amount of comorbidities and she wasn't like diabetic and she wasn't on like 20 meds, she did have some pre-existing health history um, that led us down a certain road of events. And then, of course, like I say, once you get that urine, it's like ding, ding, ding. So if it's Coca-Cola colored or tea colored urine, you kind of want to start thinking about that and then go back um, as a nurse or a paramedic or resident or intern, go back to that med list and go back with a fine tooth comb and just kind of look each drug up if you need to, whether it's on your phone app or Micromedics on the computer at work, just kind of take a look at those drugs. So sometimes you find what's causing the issue with the patient before the labs even turn around. And that's that's key because, of course, with renal function being impaired with rhabdomyolysis, time is of the essence. So you don't want this 73-year-old lady who's probably had issues for what now? Three, five, seven days now to go into renal failure, right? But her BUN is 53 and her creatinine is 1.6. So we do need to move along. And she was kind of textbook case of rhabdo. So we know that with rhabdomyolysis that the myoglobin molecule is like super huge. So it just clogs up the renal tubules and then they get complications and go into acute renal failure. So this this lady's course of uh, treatment while she was in the emergency department um, began, of course, with some fluids. So we know that the, um, oh, also referring back to the statin drugs, um, it's actually, well, I want to say 5%, but that could be an old study. So the incidence of rhabdo with the patients that are taking statins is like 5%, but like I said, Google it and see, there's probably a new study out that says something else. So it could be more, um, which is interesting because, like I say, if you look at anybody's medication list, chances are they're on a statin drug, and then they come in complaining of muscle weakness or fatigue. Well, given their history, we can't rule just anything out, right? We have to think neural and cardiac, and this lady had pre-existing history of pulmonary disease. So then there's a lot of different... Um, caveats there's a lot of different things that could be causing this issue with this patient so we ruled those out and again when they're prescribed that medication part of the teaching that should be done is if you have x y and z muscle fatigue weakness like this lady couldn't move her legs and so I'm a little curious as to why the primary care physician didn't just you know go down the the rhabdomyolysis pathway but um, perhaps he was thinking it was more injury related, but the, again, those go back to the questions that you ask the patient, because if he put her on the statin, he should know, Hey, you know, this lady, um, has been on the statin for X amount of years. Perhaps I should, you know, be thinking about checking her renal function and not criticizing. I'm just saying that I'm, I'm a little curious about that part of the case. 
it was very interesting knowing that a lot of these patients do go into a rhabdomyolysis state. So even at the lowest prescribed dose, and they can actually have this life-threatening issue, which push them into um, acute renal failure. So women are particularly um, predisposed because of the way that our bodies are and that we have we tend to have a little bit different BMI and that type of thing when it comes to absorption, distribution, metabolism, and excretion, which it comes down to for every patient with every drug. The pharmacokinetics say that women are predisposed to having issues with rhabdo. So this lady, actually, if you go down kind of the checklist, she had almost all of the risk factors um, for this. So she went ahead and for her treatment, her course of treatment, we aggressive aggressive rehydration at this point because her chest x-ray was clear she had no cardiomegaly no pre-existing history of chf so we went ahead and gave her crystalloids and then we gave her a bolus so then we then we once we got everything back of course we could be more aggressive with that we went ahead and did we did put a foley in just because we don't want this lady getting up and down because we're going to be pushing fluids in Probably going to go to like IMCU because she didn't have anything else going on. But um, INO is like key. So we really couldn't. This was pre-Cotty, this case study, by the way. <laughs> so now you can't put a Foley in anybody anymore. But um, this lady got a Foley. And then, of course, our, our focus, in addition to the aggressive crystalloids, were to monitor the INO. So this patient had all the keys to what was going on with her um, in her medication bag that she brings with her or aka list. So the biggest thing to emphasize for this is to go back, look at the medication list, kind of put the whole story together, put all the pieces together. So triage is actually a learned skill. And I don't recommend that, you know, new grads go out there right away as a nurse educator I always would wait until they had a little bit more experience in the in the back so in the treatment rooms because there's just no way you're setting them up for failure to put them out front at triage they just cannot handle all the different things that are going on so there's just too much on their plate Um, they can't really delegate yet they can't prioritize yet so there needs to be a time frame where we kind of take our new grads and and treat them right and not throw them out there to the wolves, so to speak, because it's not an area for new nurses or even new grads. So even if a nurse transfers from like IMCU to ED, she's in essence starting over because it's a new specialty. Now she does have a lot of nursing skills and she knows airway breathing circulation. However, um, it would behoove her or her educator to put her through a triage ESI class because ESI is a whole nother thing. So when you're thinking about your emergency severity index, are they a one, are they a two, are they a three, how do I decide? That's a whole nother skill set in and of itself. So just throwing new people out there is not ideal in any situation. So that's where that whole critical thinking pathway comes in. So you can see that there's a multitude of puzzle pieces that actually fit together pretty nicely for this patient. Sometimes once you get that UA and you just, you can even dip it real quick and then send it. But it's pretty obvious at that point what's going on with the patient. And then you just take a quick look at the med list and then 
aha, we know what's going on with her, even before the buin and creatinine comes back. So you can even go back and ask her um, a couple more questions at that point. But from a diagnosis point of view, that's that's kind of where the physician was heading as soon as, you know, I told him about the urine. So just keep that in mind and just wrapping it all up. This patient actually had a really good outcome due to the fact we did do, you know, a really timely triage. We got our ESI correct. We got her back right away. We didn't sit on her, right? Because this lady is going to go into renal failure um, had we sat on her. And, you know, the fact that she um, came in and said some other odd things prompted us to ask some other questions. And then we extrapolated that information that we, that we really, really needed in order to decide, can this lady wait an hour? Can she wait 10 minutes or does she need to go back right away? So just think about what kind of medications that the patient's on and just take a look-see. Even if you don't know what all the meds are, that's the perfect opportunity Especially if you're, you know, a new nurse or you're new to emergency department or even a paramedic and you're just learning your meds. I know in the heat of the moment's not the time. You know, that's that's never a good time. But when you've got downtime at the station, go ahead and look those drugs up because you're never going to learn them any other way. So, and remember, absorption, distribution, metabolism, and excretion for every patient, every time. So, so I call it the ADME, and you can just make up your own mnemonic for that. But that's pharmacokinetics. When we speak about any drug um, physiologically, that's what you have to think about. So I do thank you for your time, and everybody have a great week. Thank you.